2: Or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. This is the Greg Peterson Experience. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals.
3: He had a voice that could make a Wolverine purr. On VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
4: It's hour number three of the Greg Peterson Experience right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. You've got a tremendous hour for you as. Jason Weingarten, he does a great job with the podcast slash show, the wide world of Weingarten here at the network. He's going to be joining me in 15 minutes. We're going to talk with him a little bit about the NFL, a little bit about some of the features plays that he's made. And my producer, Jason Kahn, tells me he's got a little bit of something in terms of college basketball for us. So we're going to be having a fun time there. Always great to be joined by Jason. So Going to be having that chat in about 15 minutes. Little features, a little basketball, a little football, and here in this hour, going to give you guys what I like on the college basketball board for this Tuesday, as well as we don't have necessarily a lot in terms of the normal game, so many of you guys might be finding that, as I'm reading off some of these games, well, the extra games, you might not have as much on these, but that said, if you take a look at them towards, like, 5 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Eastern, they're going to be getting posted up, and going to be able to find some good values. I do think that there are some solid games and some solid underdogs on the extra games board. And it starts with this one in terms of a little bit more of a favorite. 306-571, 306-572. LSU and NC Central do battle. And NC Central is a 14-point underdog across the board with a total of 140. And with LSU, I set them as a rather larger favorite. I'm going to be one to lay it. NC Central coming off of a 12-point loss Against Marquette, But I do feel like LSU is worthy of being a 17-point favorite in this ordeal because with LSU, they've been able to do a very solid job on defense and unlike a lot of teams where you've got just a lot of broken pieces when it comes to a coaching change like we've seen with LSU because they don't really return a lot of their minutes from last season, but Justice Hill, the main point guard for Matt McMahon over at Murray State along with KJ Williams and Trey Hannibal. All will them, and all three guys are being able to contribute for the team. With Hill, he's been able to give you five assists per game. K.J. Williams, at 6'10", is burying right around 40% of his threes with 17.5 points at eight rebounds per game. And Trey Hannibal, not necessarily much of a score with right around five to six points per game, but five boards. He's able to give you a seal. Nice glue guy for the team. And for NC Central, they've actually been able to do a very good job of being able to go bombs away from three. As a matter of fact, they're shooting over 40% from three-point range. They're going to see some regression in terms of that three point shooting percentage. And I like some of their pieces. Some like a Chris Monroe is able to give you 12 points, six boards. He's able to shoot a few threes. That's all for the team. But Monroe is really the only guy that's giving you more than five and a half rebounds on this team, which that's a little bit of an issue for NC Central. They rank out of 363 D1 teams, 284th in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. And they have to go up against an LSU team that's really been able to bear down on this side of things They're 40th in the country. With LSU, you've also got Adam Miller who's been able to give you double figures. And I will say this, for the sensing Central bunch, they bring in Eric Boone, who was playing over in the Sun Belt a few seasons ago. He's been able to give this team two steals per game as well, so he's been able to do a nice job of being able to take the ball away. But LSU, they've been very solid on offense, being able to take care of the ball. They should be able to win the battle on the glass and I think that they're going to be able to take this one rather convincingly. And with LSU, they're not a team that necessarily plays super-duper slow. They certainly are far from a super up tempo team either. Right around 228th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. NC Central, a neither here nor there team as well. So I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game on this one. I did set my total as a result more around 139. I'm diving under on the 140, and with LSU, I'd be willing to lay up to 16 and a half in terms of this one as well. And then how about if we go to an underdog that I like? This is 306-577, 306-578. Xavier and Southern do battle. Southern, the road team, is a 21-point underdog. Totals between 152 and 153. And this is a total that I think is pretty warranted. As a matter of fact, I said my total at 154.5. I like the total over, and The big reason why, both of these teams are slowing down for absolutely nobody. Southern, in terms of your 363 D1 teams, in terms of total possessions per game, they rank 42nd in all of college basketball. Now they have to go up against a Xavier team that is 17th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They've been looking to play a little bit more brisk and up-tempo here under the new coaching regime, as well as they are 39th in the country. Sean Miller has come in, and he's brought with him Sule Boom, who's been able to give you 17 points, shooting 50% from three-part range, coming in from Xavier. Now, I do think there might be a little bit of regression in terms of Xavier. They're shooting over 40% from three-part range. That's not necessarily overly realistic, but... With that said, with the Southern team, what they do a very solid job of is being able to generate turnovers. As a matter of fact, in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis last year, they were a top-10 team in all of college basketball, and now they finally have a little bit of shooting to go with it. Brian Whitney, who was cold to start the year, he's now shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. He's been able to give this team double figures, where Xavier is going to really be able to win this battle of sound low for Southern you really don't have a lot of rebounding on this team. That's where Jack Nunge and Zach Fremantle come to play. Both of these guys combine and shoot over 40% three-point range, by the way. They combine for about 28 points, 14.5 rebounds per game. So you do like to see that. But for Southern, I do think that they're going to be able to force this team into quite a few turnovers. They force a turnover on 24.4% of possessions. That ranks number 15 in all of college basketball. And all their games have been on the road, by the way. So it's not like they do a really good job at home and then on the road, they just give you a little bit of a clunker. Nope, this team has been doing it all on the road. And you've got a Southern team that has each other top five guys giving you at least one steal per game. Southern does a very good job of just knowing how to guard the perimeter in general. And I do think that that is going to sign me a Xavier team that, once again, I mentioned their three-point shooting. Southern, they have allowed opponents to shoot 30.3% from three-point range. I do think that that regression going to come in now. going to be a little bit tough for them on the glass because right now your leader in rebounds for this team is PJ Bird, who's been able to give you nine points, five assists, a few rebounds per game. So, and that is a little bit of an issue with this Southern team, but... That said, I do think that even for the deficiencies that they've got on the glass, they're going to do a better job of being able to generate some steals. I think that it's going to be an up and down game. Sean Woods has really got the team playing an exciting brand of basketball. So I'm willing to take 17 or more here with Southern. I'm also looking at the total over at current numbers. So my total more around of 154 and a half. And another over that I'm going to be taking a look at the battle for the state of Maryland. 306575 through 5576. It is Loyola of Maryland. They're going to be playing us to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. UMBC, a three and a half to a four-point favorite. Trollhouse game is 138.5. You want a team that's going into flamethrower mode and is just absolutely lighting it up from three-point range. UMBC, they had a half. I forget who was against, but it was about a week and a half ago. They made 15 threes and a half. This team is absolutely ridiculous with the way that they're able to go bombs away from three-point range. Now the issue that you've got with this UMBC team is that they don't necessarily have a lot of rebounding. Good news for them. They go up against a Loyola Maryland team that doesn't have a single guy on the roster that's giving you more than five rebounds per game. You are expecting Golden DK at some point to take those tries forward. That's not happened. The Elitch brothers they have really not seen the floor at all for Loyola of Maryland this season as well, and that offers quite a bit of value, in my opinion, to UMBC, who's done a great job bringing in Colton Lawrence along with Matteo Pizzarelli and these two guys have been able to do a nice job lighting it up with Piccarelli. He's been able to give you 12.5 points per game. He is shooting 50% from three-point range. And then Colton Lawrence, 15.5 points, 4.5 boards. He is shooting about 42% from distance. And for UMBC, they are making nearly 11 threes per game, shooting 38.5% from distance. They... Do leave a little bit of something to be desired on the glass as Obeng Menza has been able to be your top rebounder with right around six and a half rebounds. Graham Trayvon Fagan, he's been able to give you about six and a half boards per game as well. So these guys have been able to pair up very well, but for Loyal Maryland, You need to be able to generate a little bit of something down low, maybe deal with a little bit of injury to uh, Jalen Andrews. Should be good to go in this one. He and Kenny Jones have been able to combine for about 22 points. You get about 3.5 assists per game out of Kenny Jones, and he's able to shoot 40% from three-point range. But for Loyola Maryland, they rank outside the top 150 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Here's something else for Loyola Maryland. If this is a game that is going to be relatively close, and you see quite a few fouls in this game, Loyola Maryland, they're shooting 62.6% at the free throw line. That is 342nd in all of college basketball. It's a loyal Maryland team that is turning the ball over 15.5 times per game as well. They're going through quite a bit of transition with Cam Spencer being out of the fold. You just need a little bit more from this team. You've got De'Aaron Perry who's able to shoot about 38.5% from three-point range. That said, just not having anything down low. Even though loyal Maryland is a relatively slow team, I did set my total at 145.5. UMBC, a mid-tempo team, and For UMBC, they also do rank outside the top 250 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. So I do think that there's going to be plenty of points in this game. But that said, I do think that with UMBC, they're going to be able to bury enough threes to be able to win this game and win this game comfortably. I'm willing to lay the number with UMBC. And I'm going to be taking a look at this a little over as well. And then how about if we hit on a top 25 team that's going to be on the extra games board in Arizona 306 585, 306 586. Arizona plays host to Texas AM Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi between about a 22 and a half to a 23 point underdog, and total on this game is 163. Arizona is number one in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. They are running it. They are gunning it. They're going up against a Texas A&M Corpus Christi team that they're going to turn down for absolutely nobody as well. They rank at the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. I set my total at a 168.5. I'm going to be willing to go over. Now, what I think is going to be able to hold Texas A&M Corpus Christi in this game, and I think it lends them a little bit of value, is Isaac Mushila. He comes in as has been able to give this team two steals per game. He's given you seven-plus rebounds, 15-plus points per game. He has been terrific. And then Therion Mardu, he does a good job of being able to generate some swipes in the backcourt against an Arizona team that they have turned the ball over about 14.5 times per game. That is a little bit of an issue with them. Kirk Carissa has been able to do a better job of holding onto the ball ever since the NCAA tournament last season. I would say when it comes to evaluating Kirk Carissa flushed that NCAA tournament that you saw last year out of your mind, because he should not have been out there on the court in general. He was dealing with an injury, but it's going to be tough for Texas A&M Corpus Christi. The duo of Umar Ballo and Azulos Sabellas. They combined for about 38 points, 19 rebounds. Sabellas is going bombs away, shooting over 40% from three-point range. And you do want to note with Arizona they're probably doing for a little bit of three-point shooting regression. If you take a look at their shot quality data metrics, they have been a little bit lucky in terms of shots made. I do think that Corpus Christi is going to be able to get up in their grill a little bit, but... That said, I do think that both of these teams are going to turn the ball over plenty, plenty. That's going to lead to easy buckets on both ends. I like this high total over. And with Arizona, set them as a 22.5 point favorite. So 23 or more, I am going to be in on the Islanders of Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. And what I'm in on next is having a great chat with our good friend. You've known him better at Spreadopedia on Twitter. That'd be Jason Weingarten does the Wide World of Weingarten podcast. He joins me next here on the Great Peterson Experience. I'm v the Sports Bank
2: Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on v the sports betting network.
4: Get in on the football action this season with Hulu Plus Live TV's football extravaganza complete for free Where a share of $55,000 in two different ways. Predict what will happen in three college football pools and then make your picks for eight fantasy NFL contests. Head on over to drivekings.com slash Hulu NFL now play to play for free. Hulu Plus Live TV, like cable, only better terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions do apply. See drivekings.com for details. We're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience on Beats and the Sports Bank Network. Great to be joined by Jason Weingarten. You know him from the podcast of Wide World of Weingarten, which you're able to catch wherever you get this podcast. And Jason, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you.
3: Thanks for for having me. Good to be back on. Been a couple of weeks.
4: It has been, and there's nothing that gets me more fired up than when we're having a little bit of a chat before we come on. And I hear about talking about betting slack basketball. It is one of the biggest keys to my heart right there. So I do appreciate that, Jason. And I know you've got a little bit of a college basketball futures play that you want to share. And it's evolving one of the best teams in all of college basketball in UConn. Take me through what number you got and what you've all been seeing in this team.
3: Yeah, I got uh, I got 15 to 1 last week. I've been uh, watching them a bit on uh, on TV this this last uh, month or so. And finally, I uh, I'd had it, you know, I thought about it a couple times. I was like, man, I really really got to get a basketball future on UConn. They're playing so well. And, uh, finally, I, I got it. It was still down to 15 to one by the time I, uh, ended up playing it, but it's my first college basketball future of the season. Um, a lot of times, you know, you hear me talking about long shots and really, really big odds sort of bets that I like. And in this case, I'm, I'm happy to take one of the favorites and I was still happy to take it maybe a week, a week later than I should have. They're just, you know, they're, they're playing so well, um, such a complete team early. And obviously we're not even in conference play yet, but uh, I just, I, I saw them playing, you know, on, on TV. And after a couple games, I, I just had to, uh, you know, crowd into, into that with everybody else.
4: And I'm not sure if you agree slash disagree with this, but in terms of college basketball, it's really hard to find any team outside of, I would say 20 to one or lower than that, to be able to have a lot of value with them because we always see it in college basketball where you've got that one or two Cinderella teams that they make around the NCAA tournament, but typically these teams were high up the board to start with like a North Carolina last season. And typically when it comes down to that title game, you're typically going to get one of your top three seeds and all these teams are 20 to one or shorter in terms of their odds.
3: Yeah, you know, in season occasionally, like I can remember some years where Kentucky would start slow and have some problems and their number would drift out and then they would kind of get right by the sec tournament and the number drops when they win a couple games in the tournament. But, uh, in general, I think you're absolutely correct. The, uh, top seeds dominate and, um, you know, this, this just isn't the kind of market where I've ever, um, you know, you know, necessarily found tons of value betting hundred to ones or 200 to ones. Other, other than when you're trying to get all the teams in the tournament and, you know, play, play from there. But I, I find, I I find value focusing more at the top and in a market like this futures market like this.
4: And to your point here are the teams are hundred to one right now on DraftKings to win the college basketball national title, St. Louis, Miami, Virginia tech, Oregon. I mean, fine teams right there. I would say Oregon is right now in the most danger of missing the NCAA tournament, but teams that, I mean, if they win the NCAA tournament, something Herculean has certainly happened there and just a little bit tough to be able to gauge at. So I do agree with you. And in terms of college basketball, I know that you were talking with me off air and I mentioned it just a second ago. You've been taking a look at a few teams that are out there in low to mid-major conferences and you've been able to make some money on them. I know that Grambling is certainly a team that you mentioned. What do you take a look at in terms of some of these teams? And do you find that a lot of these smaller conference teams, like you were mentioning with Grambling, that they offer some of the best value?
3: Well, typically, um, Grambling has just been a team that not performed well. You know, not not just in terms of attempting to make a tournament or anything. Just just you know, season to season, game to game, they they don't pr- perform well. And all of a sudden, um, you know, not only are they playing well, they're they're taking down SEC schools in Colorado and consistently playing competitive basketball. So I think um, just when when you have a team like that that is uh been perennially bad for so long and all of a sudden starts playing well. Um they tend to be undervalued. In this case it, it just happens to be Grambling and um, you know, I I, I just try to focus on, on a few individual programs at this point as opposed to uh paying attention to college basketball. There's just so many games. I can't do it anymore. Um UC Irvine, another one, my uh alma mater. I uh I watch a lot of their games. I follow their games and they tend to be pretty competitive against the San Diego States. And um, who was, I forget who else they played. Oregon. But, uh, Oregon. Yes. That was a good one this year. They always play Oregon. Um, but, but I, I do follow the, the big West and I will bet the conference games and the, the first halves and the second halves with Irvine. So um, sometimes it just, it's a, a handful of schools that you pay attention to and in this case, for me, it's Irvine and to a slightly lesser extent, Grambling.
4: Zot, Zot for the Anteaters. I absolutely love the way that they play and one of the best mascots out there in the Anteaters. And it would you just recommend to a lot of people that maybe they aren't doing, like, 12 months a year of college basketball research, what have you, to just try to specialize and what sort of things help you out in terms of specializing? Because I know for you, you live out there in the great state of California. So I'm sure that just being able to get news in terms of a team like a UC Irvine, a UC Santa Barbara, teams of that nature, it's a little bit easier than say, if you were trying to cover like the Ivy League or the Horizon League.
3: Yeah, um, you know, location wise, being in LA, being in Southern California, if you like, Mid-major basketball, you have Loyola and Pepperdine and Cal State Northridge. You have several gyms within driving distance that you can watch a lot of teams play. Um, you know, um, you you could become an expert in Cal State Northridge if you wanted, or you could become an expert in in the Pepperdine program, and by extension, you end up knowing a lot about the conference. So, um, yeah, if if you're really trying to get into college college basketball and you don't necessarily want to focus on on the Yukons and and the big the big programs, North Carolinas and Dukes and all that stuff, because uh sometimes there's there's just not going to be as much value on a game that everybody's watching. But uh you know an eight o'clock Santa Barbara Cal State Northridge tip off is probably not getting a ton of attention. So if you like something and you're willing to pay attention to the teams and the conference, you can you know always sort of sort of find value. I used to I used to watch enough Big West basketball that I could generally tell you, oh, this game is going to go over in the second half. And someone would say, how do you know? You haven't even seen the number yet. I'll say, I know. I I know. It It doesn't matter. I already know what number is going to be. I know it's going to go over. Like, I I would watch a lot of Big West. I still still do, but not, not as much as I used to.
4: And I'm so glad that you brought up CSUN, a.k.a. Cal State Northridge. They've been a little bit of money moneymaker for myself thus far this year as well, and I'm noticing in terms of some of the schools that you mentioned, UC Irvine. I know you just brought up CSUN a second ago, Grambling. These are all teams that they typically find themselves as underdogs, And they typically are very much defense-oriented teams. And I think that that's something to really look for in non-conference play because in non-conference play, you've got a lot of teams that they're going to be a little bit less familiar with each other. Do you think that there could be a little bit of value in taking a look at these defense-oriented underdogs in which they're just catching a few too many points because typically when you get fewer possessions in a game, you get a team that is not necessarily looking to just run it up and go to like a first to 80 style wins that you're just able to find a little bit more value in general on those teams?
3: Yeah, knowing knowing stuff like that's always important. Like with Irvine, they're uh, they're a pretty well conditioned team. They they focus a lot on, uh, you know, running and all all that stuff. Not that not that other programs don't, but you know, just just knowing know li- knowing little things about different programs and uh, how they play defense and and stuff like that can be very valuable, especially early in the season before the the conference play starts. But uh you know, it, it does take knowing more, more than just defensive styles. It is a, that's a good place to start though.
4: Yep. And with regards to grambling, a team that you mentioned a little bit earlier has been very shocking to take a look at them as well. And do you ever fear that when a team like a grambling knocks off of Colorado, that sometimes the value, is just a little bit diminished because I know there's a lot of people that the next game, after you see a big giant upset like that, like we saw with UC Irvine, Going up against Oregon, they were able to pull off a good upset there. And hasn't necessarily happened this year where the team gets a little bit overvalued coming off of one big win. But do you ever fear that and sometimes look to fade a team coming off of like their best performance of the year?
3: So, sometimes with smaller schools like Irvine, yes. You know, they, they dropped a game to Fresno recently where I thought um, they they were like an eight and a half point favorite or something. I thought that was kind of crazy. But but in in grambling situation, um, I think – You're just kind of getting, uh, you know, know, they'll win a big game and then the market just says, yeah, well, you can't do it again. And then they go out and be Vanderbilt or whatever. So um, you certainly can do it again sometimes. and, And the market will take a while to recognize that a good team is actually good and not just getting lucky once or twice.
4: Yep, and that has been really interesting to take a look at because teams that have knocked off Vanderbilt have actually been very profitable this season as Vanderbilt lost to St. Mary's, a team that I've been looking to quite a bit. They've lost to Southern Miss as well, and Southern Miss may have been a really good moneymaker for you this season as well, and something that's a great moneymaker for everyone is NFL, along with Jason Weingarten, who does a great job with the Wide World of Weingarten podcast, and we're going to take a look at what he's been taking a look at in the futures market and just what we've got on the board with him next here on V-SIN's eSports Bank Network.
2: experiencing hoops peterson himself on VSN, the sports betting network
4: the college bowl season is about to kick off and VSN as he covered with this year's college football bowl guide this year's guide has picks against the spread and totals for every single game from v experts along with the one and only Brent Musburger, Steve Mackinan has power rankings for every single team and breaks down the motivational factors that affect these bowl games. Josh Applebaum is going to be giving you insights into bowl strategy and Adam Burke He can help give you an advantage if you're a part of one of those bowl confidence pools. Give yourself an advantage. Visit vsin.com slash subscribe to check out the college football bowl betting guide. That is vsin.com slash subscribe. As we're back here on the Greg Peterson experience on Visa, the sports betting Network being rejoined by Jason Weingarten does a great job with the wide world of Weingarten podcast, which you're able to catch wherever you find your podcasts. And Jason, I know that you have placed some futures wagers in the NFL and Take me through sort of what your strategy has been with offensive rookie of the year because I know that you've got wagers on a few different guys and got some good numbers out there.
3: Yeah, so uh, Christian Watson, he uh, drifted all the way out. Probably was even higher in season. Wouldn't be surprised if someone said I saw him hundred to one or whatever. Uh, but I saw Circa was hanging a sixty to one on him when the rest of the market was a bit shorter a couple weeks ago, and uh, I took a took a stab at sixty. This was before his uh, his touchdown run. And since then, he's had seven receiving touchdowns and one rushing touchdown. So when you look at, at Christian Watson, all of a sudden he's top 10 in receiving touchdowns in the NFL. He's top five if, if you you know add the rushing touchdown to his number. The only the only receivers in the NFL now with more touchdowns than Christian Watson are uh, Tyler Lockett, A.J. Brown. Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, and Tra- Travis Kelsey, a pretty, you know, elite tier of uh, of touchdown scores that he is residing in all of a sudden. And uh, when I look at, at N- the NFL, you know, the goal of football is to score touchdowns. So uh, even though his, his yardage uh, numbers and his target numbers are, are much lower than, say, a Garrett Wilson or uh, Chris Olave, um, you know, touchdowns are what matters in the NFL and having eight of them puts him up there closer to previous other offensive rookie of the year winners. Whereas Garrett Wilson, who's having a really good season and, you know, putting up pretty elite numbers on his, uh, his weekly stat lines. He he had like, you know, seven, seven receptions, 78 yards yesterday and a loss to the bills coming off that 15, uh, you know, sorry, uh, eight, that's eight receptions on 15 target game. Uh, 1 162 yards, and I think it lost to Minnesota two weeks ago. A game where they cost me a bunch of money not covering late. But uh, one thing to keep in mind is Mike White's probably thrown the ball almost a hundred times in those last two games. And while he is catching the ball and putting up yards, what he's not doing is scoring touchdowns. In fact, he has four touchdowns all season. Two of them coming three weeks ago against the Giants, and two of them coming in week two against the Browns. That's just not the level of production that we've historically seen touchdown wise from an offensive rookie of the year winning receiver so uh while I do think Garrett Wilson is an elite player and he's been a great draft pick I just don't see 63 receptions for 868 yards and four touchdowns getting it done when uh Christian Watson has practically doubled that uh touchdown the the touchdown production in in the last month and I don't think it's gonna stop um, now that he is a featured weapon in the Packers offense. So when I look down the rest of the board, Damon Pierce on a one-win Texan team, not a serious contender. Kenneth Walker, who was running away with the board, he's injured. I think the market has probably left him behind. Chris Chris Olave playing fine. Same thing. Garrett Wilson, but he's on a non-playoff team, not scoring touchdowns. And then everybody else on the board. Probably doesn't have any value, except people are asking me, well, what do you think of Brock Purdy? 2-0 and as a starter. If you look at the rest of his schedule. Not out of the question that they win at Seattle this weekend, finish the season with wins over the Commanders, the Raiders, and the Arizona Cardinals. Now missing Kyler Murray, likely for the rest of this season and potentially all of next season. So four straight wins, uh, coming off wins off the uh, the Dolphins and uh, Bucks. I think it's an interesting situation. If you told me Brock Purdy all of a sudden has six wins and six starts, is he the rookie of the year? Probably not. See a 35 to one still at DraftKings. Kings. Are you going to get 35 to one parlay in the uh, 49ers to win their next four games? You're probably not going to get that high of a number either. So 35 to one, I think is, is a, a potential long shot still on the board, but uh, it does look like the, uh, the wide receivers Garrett Wilson and Christian Watson are going to battle it out down the stretch.
4: And the one question that I have with you in terms of all this, because you did mention that Kenneth Walker is getting left in the dust. How much do you take a look at how these teams might be finishing towards back half and perhaps their schedule as well? Because someone that I was expecting, excited about coming into the season was Damian Pierce. He was doing a really solid job in like October, but he has completely faded away. And I wonder how much it's going to be recency bias because you mentioned Brock Purdy. If he does go six and zero, I think that he could get some consideration for this award.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's always good to finish strong. And I've always said in Offensive Rookie of the Year, most important thing is quarterback wins. So six wins would typically put you close to the numbers necessary to at least get some consideration although i would say that last year uh, mac jones played pretty well won a lot of games and uh, jamar chase just had such a spectacular rookie season that he he won the the offensive rookie of the year running away and that, that doesn't happen often because you look at other wide receivers justin jefferson aj brown come to mind both of them were runner up. so uh, voting can be a little tricky here and Purdy probably started just a week or two or three too late to to, you know, be a serious contender. But if the, the 49ers do finish four and and he has six straight wins as a you know Mr. Irrelevant seventh round pick, I would at least uh, think there will be some conversation about who the winner is. And just matter of fact, the the the, the leaders just haven't run away with it this year, giving giving Purdy the chance to stick around and and make a late run.
4: Yep. The leader on the clubhouse, as you mentioned, was Kenneth Walker as well. And let's say that you see an injury or two from one, of the wide receivers that you mentioned as well, that could be a bit of a factor as well. So always something to take a look at there. And then I know you've been taking a look at the offensive player of the year market as well, because unlike the MVP where It usually goes to a quarterback. I recognize that Adrian Peterson was able to win it about a decade or so ago. That's because he had a historic year for a running back. But typically, this award in MVP goes to a quarterback. Offensive player of the year typically goes to the best non-quarterback. And I know you've got a little bit of an angle here for someone that is playing for or is catching passes for one of the guys that is towards the top of the board in terms of MVP.
3: Yeah, and you mentioned it. The, the, the NFL seems to have kind of gotten to this this sort of headspace where the, the MVP is a quarterback award. It's the award for the best quarterback, and the Offensive Player of the Year is the award for the best non quarterback. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that because most valuable and uh, the definition of the Offensive Player of the Year are two, two different things. And I think Offensive Player of the Year should go to the player with the most extraordinary offensive stats. Um, you know, on a year-to-year basis. And we've, we've tend to decide that it's... The voters have tend, tended to decide that it just does a non-quarterback award. And the market has sort of zeroed in on Tyreek Hill and uh, uh, Justin Jefferson as the most likely winners. And I understand that. Tyreek Hill has 100 receptions for 1,400 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, Justin Jefferson similar production 99 receptions 1500 yards six touchdowns I think the 1500 yards and the fact that he's 500 yards clear of everybody else is or excuse me not 500 yards clear of everybody else 500 yards clear of Travis Kelsey is is probably going to win Jefferson the uh, the offensive player of the year but uh, when I look at the production and, and someone says well Justin Jefferson has 1500 yards receiving Travis Kelsey Barely has over a thousand. I'm like, so what? Travis Kelsey has 12 touchdowns. Justin Jefferson has six. Uh, Kelsey, one of the, the tied for the lead, tied for the lead with uh, Devonte Adams. Devonte Adams isn't winning the Offensive Player of the Year, not on not on the Raiders this season. But uh, Kelsey's still sitting out there, at 28 to one, the most important player on the Chiefs' offense outside of Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he gets the the credit he deserves, even with with Tyree gone. I think. His, his game has been consistently elite for so long. He's, he's a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame, what he's never won is an Offensive Player of the Year. I think 28-1 to 1 is still a pretty good price. Uh, when, when you look at his production in context of, of everybody else's, you know, Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, might have 400, 500 more receiving yards, but he's doubling their touchdown production this season. And sort of like what I said with Christian Watson, the goal of the nfl the goal of football is to score the most touchdowns so um we should be recognizing the guys who are scoring the most touchdowns this year and that is travis kelsey and christian watson who i both um have big numbers on and hope they continue to play well to wind down the season absolutely
4: and you always do a great job whenever you join me jason always appreciate the time thank you thank you thanks for having me on Jason does a great job with the Wide World of Wine Garden podcast. You're able to get that wherever you find your podcasts. And coming next, we wrap things up with my DK DKNH pick on the Hardwood for Tuesday here on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network.
2: Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on v the sports betting
3: network.
4: All sports are in full swing and BetRivers Online Sportsbook is your home for the latest lines, odds, and boosts. Whether you're a football, soccer, hockey, or basketball fan, BetRivers does have you covered as you're able to join us every week for new promotions like the Tuesday Hockey First Goal Insurance. Right in a college football bet and get Sunday football parlay insurance and so much more. BetRivers is calling all soccer fans as well to head on over to drivekings.com slash BetRivers to check out all the World Cup daily bet and gets as it is a whole new game. This is the final segment of the Greg Peterson experience right here on VEASAN, the sports manual network final segment just for today. Not forever. Don't not worry there. But that said, we had a great chat with Jason Weingarten. The last two segments does a great job with the wide world of Weingarten podcast, a little college basketball, little NFL, some futures market chatter. Always do appreciate that. Thank you very much to him. And if you're listening to this show live coming up next, it is going to be a replay of the Greg Peterson experience. If you're listening to a replay 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Follow the money with Mitch Moss and Paul Howard. I'm sure that they're going to have takeaways in terms of what we saw on Monday Night Football, Kyler Murray going down with an injury, the New England Patriots staying in contention in terms of the AFC playoff picture, and all that we're going to be getting this week. I've got you guys warmed up, though, as we're going to take a look at some college basketball here in this segment, try to find you guys some winners for this Tuesday. We lead off by taking a look at what I think is the biggest game of the day. This is 617, 618 on the board. Alabama is going to be playing us in Memphis. Bolsters, please do rank Memphis. It's a little bit of a downer that they're not ranked, but that said, with Memphis, they're getting respect in the betting market. They're anywhere between 6 and 6.5 point underdogs against a good Alabama team. And your total on this game is in between 149 and seeing as high as 150.5 and. A half and my write-up is going to be based around the total. I set my total at a 144.5. Now, you do have an Alabama team that, if you take a look at just raw possessions per game, they do rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball. The reason why they do is because they had a four-overtime game against North Carolina that really heightened the amount of possessions because... Well, when you play 60 minutes in a game rather than 40, you're going to have more possessions. Very simple math there. And with this Alabama team, they always do look to run it and gun it. Even with that taken out of the fold, they would still be a top 30 team in terms of this respect. But that's said with Alabama. Very, very much improved on defense. A team that last season was 232nd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They now rank 24th. And They go up against a Memphis team that they're outside the top 100 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And for Memphis, they have really throttled down themselves. Memphis, every single year under Petty Hardaway before this year, they had been 74th or better in terms of possessions per game. Now they're ranking more around 120th. And Memphis, they've done a great job as a top 50 defense in their own right. And for Memphis, also a team that they really do not look to shoot the three ball. They look to get the ball inside That has been the strength of the Alabama defense all season long. Alabama, number seven in all of college basketball in terms of opponents, two-point shooting percentage for this Memphis team. Out of all of their shots, taking 29.2% of them, they come from three-point range. That is in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball. So I do think that you've got a classic battle of strength on strength. I do think what is also going to be interesting, taking a look at a little bit more of the spread perspective, because I also do like the points here with Memphis need at least six to be able to take a shot on them, but I'm willing to take six or more with them is what you're going to be able to get in the matchup of Deandre Williams versus the two versatile big men of Alabama, Noah Clowney along with Brandon Miller. I believe that Clowney is actually of relation to Javion Clowney. Don't quote me on that, but I think that he is because he also comes from the great state of South Carolina, nine and a half points 8.5 8.5 boards out of him. He had a really nice game against Houston a couple of days ago, and then for Brandon Miller. Shooting 42.5% from three-point range, 17 points, 8.5 boards, right around a block per contest as well, and then for DeAndre Williams. Shoots in the I-30s from three-point range. He's been able to give this Memphis team double figures, and what I think is going to be important for Memphis as well is that they've done a better job of taking care of the ball. Last year, Memphis was a complete and utter disaster, just in terms of having clean possessions, not giving the ball away, that's why you bring in Kendrick Davis, who I feel like was the best transfer in all of college basketball. 18 and a half points, four boards, five assists. He chips in their 1.7 steals per game. And this is a Memphis team that they do a good job of being able to generate some takeaways as well. Alex Lomax, three steals per game. That is towards the top of all of college basketball with that regard. And they're regarding up against an Alabama team that they've been the ball over right around 16 times per game. They themselves don't necessarily generate a bunch of turnovers. So a little bit of something to take a look at. On that front now, I will say for Alabama, they actually lead all of college basketball in terms of both offensive and defensive rebounds. So they've been able to do a nice job on the glass, but I do think that Memphis are going to do a nice job generating some turnovers in this game. I think both teams are going to have a tough time being able to get clean looks in general. Alabama is doing a better job of being able to shoot it from three-point range at 349 percent but you got a Memphis team that's been able to do a solid job being able to guard the three-point arc themselves. DK Nation write-up is going to be on this total under. I expect to see a lot of dead possessions I think that's going to be an up-tempo, up-and-down sort of game, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of slower possessions, and for Alabama, this is a little bit of a payback spot. Last time these two teams played, Memphis as an underdog. They won that game outright last year. I do think that Alabama gets their revenge. I don't think that they get revenge by six-plus points, Set my handicap at five-and-a-half, so we'll take six or more with Memphis right up. That is going to be on this total under. Let's take a look at a team that began the season number one in all of college basketball, but May have fallen off the table a little bit, and that would be North Carolina. This is 607, 608 on the betting board. The Tar Heels are going to be playing host to the Citadel, and for the Citadel, they opened up a 25-point underdog. Now we're seeing them anywhere between 25.5 and 26. With your total anywhere between 144.5 and 145, I need at least 26 to take a shot on the Citadel. But at 26, I'd be willing to do so. Now with North Carolina. They are shooting as a collective about 28.5% from three-point range. They are one of the lesser teams at all of college basketball in terms of the three-point shooting percentage. This should be going northward. Was what North Carolina did in the NCAA tournament sustainable? Heck no. You knew that they weren't quite as good of a shooting team as they showed through in the NCAA tournament. They were able to get a lot of shots to fall. They also aren't the 325th team in three point shooting percentage like we're seeing right now. I think that you're going to be able to see a little bit of a jump in this number as Caleb Love, RJ Davis, both of these guys are still giving you a combined about 26 to 28 points per game. They're combined to shoot about 27% from three point range. This will be getting a little bit better in North Carolina. They're still doing a good job of not turning the ball over for the Citadel, but I think helps them just in terms of this big spread line is that they have really throttled down from last season. Duggar Balcom used to be the coach for this team and he used to have the mentality of we're going to let you score 80, but we're going to score 90 ourselves. Citadel really didn't score 90 themselves and they would actually give up more than 80 points and it just never turned out well for our good friends at Citadel. The Citadel, may have really throttled things down in terms of their tempo. Under Duggar, they would always be in the top 40 in terms of total possessions per game and it's not like the Citadel is a snail by any stretch of the imagination, but 240 or 234th, in all of college basketball, with this regard, so they are looking to play a little bit more defense. They do have a guy down low in Stephen Clark, six foot eight, nice combo player. Has been terrific for the team, sixteen and a half points, right around seven rebounds per game. He gives you a little bit of block per game. Is he going to be able to match up stride for stride with Armando Bacot, who's still giving this North Carolina team about eleven half rebounds per game, double doubles in four out of his last five games. No, but I do think they could provide a little bit of a speed bump. You're going to need someone like a David Maynard to get online. Last season, he was really good towards back half of the season, averaging double figures in the final eight games of the season thus far this season. Been able to give you right around five rebounds per game, but only five and a half points per game in the Citadel. They themselves really outside of Elijah Morgan, who's been able to give you nine points per game, draining 43.5% of his three-point shots and about 88% of his free throws. They've been offline in terms of, they're shooting as well. This is going to be a team that's going to get trucked on the glass. Let's call it what it is. North Carolina has a guy in Pete Nance. He comes in after he was at Northwestern, six foot ten combo player that has really been the lone guy shooting above 35 percent from three point range. Or this North Carolina team, he's able to chip in there right around 10 points, 6-plus rebounds. So I do like his overall game. But it's a Citadel team that has been rather pesky. You've got a lot of interchangeable pieces for the team. Some like uh, Jackson Price, who's been able to come in and off the bench. Give you three boards, shoot 40% from three. These guys have been relatively solid. And North Carolina, I just need to see it before you can believe it. In terms of against the spread record as well, I do feel like they've got a little bit of trust to rebuild. Because with North Carolina, it's been a really a start to the season. I feel like they might be doing a little bit of experimenting in this game as well. So there could be a chance where they're up like 25 at the half and then they take their foot off of the gas to try to get themselves set for what is really going to be the meat of the ACC schedule. So a circumstance in which I'm willing to take anything north of 36 with the Citadel. I do think that North Carolina going to be looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. And I do think that this is going to be a game where when you – Get a 20 plus point lead. Typically, it turns into open gym. It turns into guys just putting up shots a little bit more willy-nilly. And that leads to quite a few points. I did set my total at a 149 and a half. So looking at the over in this ordeal, and I'm willing to take 26 or more with the Citadel and need at least 26 with them. And that leads us into our pro tip for our number three. visacom so subscribe for all of these. You guys were hearing my chat with Jason Weingarten a few minutes ago. And with Jason, we were talking about. Betting on MVP versus Offensive Player of the Year, MVP has just pretty much become a quarterback's award at this point. Meanwhile, typically the best offensive player that isn't a quarterback, they get that Offensive Player of the Year award. So make that distinction when you're taking a look at the futures market and something you want to take a look at. Follow the money, 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern, with Mitch Moss and Paul Howard right here on v the Esports Betting Network.